Welcome to our Murthy Law Firm teleconference series. We're always delighted and honored to have you join us. Today's topic is extremely important because it talks about the employment authorization documents or EAD renewals. Again, I am Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm, the moderator for today's discussion. I have with me two fabulous panelists, Adam Rosen, who's been with the firm for, I don't know, more than half a decade, almost six years, and uh, with about 10 years of immigration law experience, and Dana DeLotte, our brilliant senior attorney, who's been with the firm almost coming around to 10 years next year. So you are speaking with the pros on this very timely and hot topic of employment, uh, employment authorization documents and the need for obtaining them in this climate. Um, the reason we thought that was so important to talk about this topic today was because, as most of you are familiar, as employers, there have been recent delays in the issuance and renewals of EAD cards. Um, this recent lockbox system for centralized filing has been part of the problem that has caused additional delays in processing of, their, of these cases. While before they would take anywhere from 30 to 60 days, today most EAD extensions are taking the full 90 days. And actually, we've been seeing cases with longer than 90 days. Um, and as we know, it was way faster before. And this has created problems for both the employer, for you all as employers, and the individuals concerned. So we're going to try to figure out some solutions, try to figure out proactively how to avoid the problem, also, how to minimize the risk if there is a gap, and uh, in the future, how to try to overcome issues or problems. So, Adam, what would you recommend in terms of the proactive approach by an employer to try and avoid a problem with the employee having a gap in the EAD? Well, I think the f most important thing and the first thing to be doing is to take on that responsibility yourself. As an employer, you have to make sure that your I-9 forms are properly completed and that the uh, individual employee um, has his employment authorization re-verified in a timely fashion. And so you want to be the ones taking on responsibility and monitoring the need to renew the EAD card instead of putting that responsibility on the employee. And so since EAD renewals can be filed up to 120 days in advance of the expiration date for the card that your employee is currently relying upon, you want to set that clock a little bit in advance of that 120-day mark so that you have everything ready that you need to file when you get to the 120 days. Ah, so you're saying don't just start doing it because if it takes another 20, 30 days, you've lost precious time. Do all of the paperwork and actually submit it to reach USCIS. Exactly. You can set it, you know, 150 days in advance that it tell, a little reminder pops up and tells you that you need to start getting everything prepared, forms signed, checks executed. It might even take a week or two to get the check printed by the company or, or, or if the individual is paying for, paying for it and going to be filing it himself, whatever the way in which the EAD application, the I-765, will get submitted to the Immigration Service, you want to use your time well, make it work for you, and have that reminder popping up in advance. Now, USCIS is permitted 90 days to process the EAD card, and the processing times um, do, do, can vary, and sometimes someone gets an EAD card issued very quickly and might be lulled into thinking that that is how it'll always get processed. The, the, unfortunately, the fact of the matter is 
it's can be it can be completely random. You might end up being lucky enough to have a card issued quickly, or you might get a card that takes longer to get issued. And so you need to prepare in advance, thinking that your card might take longer than 90 days, might take longer than maybe if you got one issued in a month, and use that um, use a time period that they've allotted, telling you apply 120 days in advance, and just get everything prepared so that you can get it submitted. 120 days in advance. Okay, and when you just now mentioned, Adam, that the USCIS is permitted 90 days to process an EAD, permitted under the regulations, and what happens if they don't give it? Because we've been seeing cases where it's not been processed even in 90 or 100 days. Well, they the regulation does provide for the issuance of what's called an interim EAD card, and once upon a time, they would actually issue an interim EAD card. You could go down to your local USCIS office, and they would do that. Um, however, about a year or so ago, the USCIS headquarters removed those machines from all the local offices, and they've stopped issuing interim EAD cards. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, okay, so Dana. Uh, if the interim EAD is no longer available, and I guess it stopped back, you said, in the mid, in around mid-2006, right. um, what are the other options available for an employer to ensure that there's no gap, that they don't lose maybe a huge contract, that their employee can continue so it doesn't have to pack up or, you know? Right, right. So, right, everybody remembers, for some reason, the interim EADs, and they were a nice solution, but they don't exist anymore for some security-related reason. They, the local offices don't have the proper uh, equipment to even issue them, so it's just... But the regulations haven't been changed. The regulations, regulations still there, but the interim EAD isn't, so there mm -hmm. we go. But, so now, because the inter in part because the interim EAD was eliminated, where you used to go down after 90 days and be able to get that card... Uh, thanks to a suggestion made by the CIS Ombudsman, it's now possible to do follow-up at the 75-day point. Uh, you don't actually have to wait till 90 because obviously then that would mean you'd get your card in something more than 90 days. So if you've waited 75 days or if the employee has waited 75 days, they can follow up through the National Customer Service Center 800 number. Um, that's 1-800-375-5283, and that's always on the USCIS website. Uh, they can follow up through that number and, you know, discuss with them and request a, a, a service request for action on their case so that hopefully they will then get the approval in hand by the 90-day point. Um, the, the service requests are supposed to be then relayed to the place where the EAD is pending so that it will actually move forward in the, uh, the 90 days that are required. Okay. Wonderful. Well... Assuming that the employer is kind of in a panic and says, gee, 90 days, that's going to mean the end of this very critical time-sensitive project or what have you. Employer is in a panic, employees in a panic. We've all heard of an expedite policy, an expedite criteria. So, Adam, can you explain, is this expedite criteria similar to premium processing? Because we often get asked this cons during consultations, hey, can I just pay extra and get a premium processed EAD? Um, how well, does this work? There, there is no premium processing for the EAD card. I, I'm sure that some people would, would love to have it, and maybe one day USCIS will actually implement it. When they need more funds. When they need more funds. <laughs> so may, maybe sometime soon if, if everybody lobbies USCIS enough. Uh, and so unfortunately, we're stuck with what are called their standard expedite criteria, which I'll go through, but you can also find these 
on Murthy.com and also on USCIS's website. The, the first of the list, the top of the list, is severe financial loss to the company or the individual. And when it says severe, it's gonna prob you're probably going to have to show that it actually is severe. Um, and this is why the timing on when an I-765 for a new EAD card is actually filed, because if it's filed late, uh, unless there's some reason that resulted in it being filed late, other than not watching the clock close enough, you're probably going to have USCIS push back. They, they quite often do resist granting a request under these expedite criteria. Uh, the others include uh, emergency situations, humanitarian situations, a nonprofit, um, asking for something to further cultural and social interests. Uh, if you have something coming from the Department of Defense or something in the national interest that is supported by an official government um, request, um, USCIS error or something that is in the compelling interest of USCIS. So these are not necessarily easy to, to meet, and if you first have a situation where you think that you can meet one of these expedite criteria, it's important to take a step back and try to think about it from the other side. Is USCIS going to be resistant? Are they going to be suspicious of this? Might they ask, why didn't you apply earlier? Was, it, was there anything that you did that contributed to the um, being at this point where the EAD card is expiring without a new one coming? And being uh, getting your answer to that question is part of what you want to include in your request for that expedite because uh, USCIS, again, they generally don't like to grant something under the expedite criteria unless it really, really meets um, what those words say in that list. Okay. And so uh, just to be sure, so there are seven expedite criteria. You just heard Adam go over the seven. Uh, which includes financial loss, extreme or emergent situation, compelling interest, and error. And it's possible that there's errors that happen from time to time, but again, it has to be an error with the EAD process uh, at that right. time. Right, and, and I know that there have been a number of instances. Um, we've had a few um, instances here at the Murphy Law Firm that we have thankfully been able to resolve for our clients where because the I-765 gets submitted to a lockbox, there have been delays in the receipts being issued, and I would imagine that that might be a situation where an employer could contact USCIS for an expedite because it's coming up against the expiration date and it was the services error in rejecting the application. So that might be right, a right. situation. Right, right. Several people were denied or applications were sent back or rejected because they forgot to, because the lockbox people who are not as well trained thought that, hey, where's the I-485 receipt notice, even though they had other documents, cancel right. checks. There was some conflict in the instructions, and I think there was actually a fair amount of people that lot, got them kicked back. I, I got some anecdotal information, and, and actually Ayla addressed that too, so it must have been pretty widespread. Um, so because of that, they were addressing some, some of those issues, but um, that's been resolved. So probably at this point, most people are going to be trying to fit themselves within the expedite criteria that Adam was discussing. And, you know, and, and I, I agree with him that it's, you have to put yourself in the, the shoes of the USCIS, the number of these requests that they get and the sort of natural resistance to helping out when there's a self-created emergency. But since we're talking about uh, you know, the EAD, very often the person who slowed this down was the individual who may not have been as savvy, and so hopefully maybe some of the employers might, if they're really going to suffer, be able to support an expedite request because it really maybe was not entirely, you know, 
their fault, they thought the employee was doing it or something, and, and if there's enough support from the company, it might work. Um, so are you saying it needs to be done, the expedited request can be filed right away when you file the EAD filing, uh, Dana, yeah. or does it have to be after it's been pending for a certain period of time that you then say, hey, it's expedited? It, typically, it's after the fact because people don't realize the problem until they've filed it and they thought they were going to get it in a few weeks or a month and it's not coming. But if this is caught early enough, you know, maybe now if some of the employers that are listening start checking on all this and realize that some of their people haven't filed in time, you could make the expedite request with the EAD filing. Um, just there's instructions on the USCIS website or their lawyers, including our law firm, could help them with that. Um, they would, if it, I assume they would try, be trying to fit it within the severe financial loss to the company, and they would have to have some sort of support and description for why this is going to cause the company such a problem with the particular project, etc. Um, so they could do that with the filing. Otherwise, once the case is filed and pending, you have to contact the National Customer Service Center number, and they will take the service request, and in a fairly short time frame, I believe a few days, they'll make a decision, yes or no, on the expedite. That doesn't mean they're going to approve the EAD in that amount of time. They'll make a yes or no on the expedite decision uh, request. Um, and again, the employer could support those requests if it's appropriate. Okay, okay. And just so most of you know, um, actually the Nebraska Service Center has been a little bit more generous with their expedite criteria for the EADs at this time, they're actually willing to include situations where the person will lose the job if the EAD is not renewed quickly. So the, uh, you as the employer would need to show that the EAD has been pending more than 60 days. So instead of the 75-day or the 90-day rule before, from before, it's only 60 days with NSC. Uh, and you show that the person would lose the job, especially if the end client says, I'm sorry, I can't be for so long without the individual employee. They're willing to consider that. Um, and the current EAD has to be re, uh, expiring within two weeks. And we need to show that the job will be lost without the renewal. So we need to submit proof of that. Note that the counting of the days will stop if there is an RFE or request for evidence. Once you submit the evidence, then the counting starts again. So that's an important factor, an important plus point to keep in mind. Right. For all these time frames, the 90 days, the 60 days, the 75 days, you can't necessarily just count from the date of filing because the clock stops if they issue an RFE and the USCIS is waiting for the response from the applicant. Right. And a lot of times people ask us, will the local office consider an expedite request? Can I go to take an info pass appointment, go pick it up? And the answer usually is no because the local offices cannot issue EAD cards. As Dana previously explained, there is no more interim EAD cards that are available through the local InfoPass appointments, um, even though it's there in the regulations. So part of this problem is that the individual needs to show that the I-765 receipt payment of the fees has been made, and there's a receipt notice that's been issued by the USCIS. Um, uh, some people ask about using senators or U.S. representatives or politicians. Usually these don't work, especially where, again, it comes back to, hey, you took too long to file it. Now, if all was done right, then using some of these other avenues could be helpful, but in general, they're not as helpful because you have to show that you followed the regular process. 
Um, Adam, okay, so is the individual allowed to keep working while the H-1B, uh, while the EAD extension has been filed? Because in the H-1B context, they, they're allowed to work, and we, all the employers know that, so most people think that's the same rule. We file the extension, we should be allowed to keep working because the delay is the government's problem and not our problem. What's the rule? Right. And unfortunately, unlike in the H-1B context, where if you're an employer filing an H-1B to extend your employee's work authorization, and he or she can work for another 240 days after the I-94 expires, there, um, there is no grace period. In order for the person to work, uh, he or she must actually have an EAD card. So if this individual was relying on the EAD card for their work authorization, then that person needs to actually have the Renew the new EAD card to continue working. So no work means no work in the United States. This is not working from home. This is not volunteering. Um, if a person is not authorized to work, they cannot be engaged in the same job duties from any place with simply without being paid. Um, uh, and, and there are um, just as somebody who was not uh, ever your employee and came to you to perform um, work activities, but was doing so without receiving payment, would be that person would be working without authorization. Um, this employee who doesn't have his EAD card any longer because his previous, his current one has expired and a new one has not been issued, would be working without authorization, and the employer, um, a, a, the employer would be employing this person without permission, with all the um, harmful consequences that flow from that. Okay, and so Dana, you can you describe? I mean, when. Adam just says, you know, is termination required? What is required? What needs to happen? What are the harmful consequences that an employer needs to consider in terms of different kinds of I-9 violations or different types of violations? Right. And really, there's um, this is a big question on whether termination is required uh, because from the employee's point of view, of course, that is very important to them. And from the employer's point of view, when you just have a short gap in employment authorization, it's administratively burdensome to have to terminate and rehire, etc. So everyone always wants to know, can they just take unpaid leave, vacation, etc. Um, from an employment law point of view, we'll remind everyone that we are immigration lawyers. Even though this there's overlap with the I-9 and employment law issues, we do want everyone to discuss this in detail with their employment attorneys. Um, because again, there are I nine issues, and also there can be other uh, state and, and because there's a difference laws. between employment law and immigration, right? And there are exactly there's it's not a complete mix between uh, not a complete overlap between what we have to do for employment law and immigration law. Um, from an employment law point of view, with the I nine, uh, if an employee is working based upon a document that gives them permission to work for only a limited period. The I-9 requirements state that the employer is responsible for re-verifying that permission to work by the time of the expiration. And if the person uh, does not have continued documentation of their authorization to work, they can no longer be employed. And the regulations that govern the I-9 define this employment relationship quite broadly, and it includes paid and unpaid leave on account of study, illness, pregnancy, maternity, paternity leave. Uh, vacation and, and every other sort of typical type of leave that people ask about. So it looks like from an I-9 point of view we, we have a serious problem here, but again that should be run by the employment attorneys as to exactly what to do and how to document it. Okay. And Adam, the difference between employment law and immigration law that Dana was just talking about, 
What is it from an immigration law point of view that generally works in such cases? Well, at the same time that the um, regulations governing the I-9 are defining employment as including things like paid or unpaid leave, um, the, um, the definition of unauthorized employment references the performance of services or labor and that per, on behalf of an employer who's receiving, who's paying out to this worker um, wages um, in the form of money or um, in-kind benefits. And so um, it, it raises some, some, some issue that, which is why you want as much as possible to try to avoid getting into this morass. The adjudicator's field manual that um, governs um, internally what USCIS officers are directed to do um, it also mirrors the definition that's in the regulation of being actively engaged in performing work or performing uh, services or labor of some kind. And so these instructions regarding counting unauthorized employment also talk about engaging in unauthorized employment. It, it talks about some, somebody who is actively performing uh, something and references the possibility that there are interruptions in this unauthorized employment when discussing how to count the number of days of these violations, which seems to um, it seems to imply that it's there's a possibility of um, maintaining the employment relationship without firing the individual worker while there is not an EAD card um, valid in hand. Right. It's an elaborate discussion in there about how you count the days and whether there's a break in the unauthorized employment. And, and so that's why when looking at this, it just seems that if they wanted the person to literally be terminated, it would have taken one sentence to say terminate them instead of an entire discussion about counting and a break and when they can start working again, etc. Aha. So the crux of the issue is employment law. There seems to be a problem in just putting the person on some sort of a leave of absence with immigration law. It seems to say no problem if it's not active employment, performing service or labor. There's not necessarily an un unauthorized employment. But with the I-9 issue, the person's not allowed to be employed. And employment can mean unpaid leave of absence, which then creates this whole quagmire that we've been talking about. Right. There's a disconnect there. And and so that's why their employment lawyers need to sit down and they need to feel comfortable because the government, by the way, the USCIS has not given clear-cut guidance in various um, USCIS policy memos or discussions with ELA. Um, different officers from USCIS have commented that an unpaid leave of absence uh, should be fine. The person doesn't have to be off of payroll. Um, etc., because lots of companies have said it's so burdensome and onerous to actually terminate, discontinue health insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so people come in and ask for it, but there's no black and white simple answer because you have this and, disconnect. And, and, and unfortunately, this problem, this this problem, this um, the difficulty of getting at an exact specific answer uh, has gotten more difficult, specifically because the um, INS is no longer the INS, and now USCIS processes the EAD application, and Immigration and Customs Enforcement is the one that will um, audit and investigate violations or compliance with the I-9 uh, Employment Eligibility Verification Form. And so you have, on the one hand, um, policy information, um, instructions to officers on deciding whether or not to grant or deny a benefit based on unauthorized employment, um, while at the same time you have a, a completely separate agency that is the one that's deciding whether or not you're, uh, an employer is in violation or uh, in compliance with the requirements of the I-9 and verifying employment. Okay. And again, you know, I know both Dana and Adam have talked about this, but if for you all as employers, 
if you decide not to terminate the employee altogether, remove them from payroll, stop the health insurance, stop any kind of benefit, but you allow them to continue um, to maintain this quasi-status or actually allow them to work, which would be in violation, then you would need to maintain documentation um, of the period of leave, of the unauthorized, of the um, leave of absence that you provided, or if you terminate them, then you need to keep proof of that termination, the clear-cut termination and the rehiring of that particular employee. Uh, one of the important issues to remember, because a lot of individuals who have filed the EAD expiration, um, who have EAD expiration issues, and who may have filed the 485 during the summer of 2007, three years ago, remember during that whole visa gate thing, uh, many of them do have their I-485 petition spending, or the adjustments of status application spending, um, and they actually um, are very concerned um, about, you know, what, you know, isn't there some kind of a 180-day grace period for me? Well, it's really not a grace period by law. It's simply a forgiveness provision where the government will decide to approve the I-485 based on Section 245K of INA, which is the Immigration and Nationality Act, but it doesn't mean that the person still doesn't uh, suffer a risk of being potentially deported or considered in violation of the law. And you all as employers, by hiring such a person during the time that the EAD extension has been filed, would not be protected against a potential I-9 violation so as an employer, you cannot get confused between the issue of the 180-day grace period and the issue of a 180-day grace period for the 485 approval, which is different than the employer getting any kind of 180-day grace period here. Dana, so you want to say you, something? So, Sheila, you could have a situation where a company has um, an employee who has an I-485 adjustment application pending with the Immigration Service. His EAD card has expired. Uh, maybe it's been expired for two weeks or so and the um, company potentially could be in violation of the I-9 requirements, but the individual um, would still be eligible for the adjustment application to be approved. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, so that's and, the crux. And that's why, we, and I think in some ways, why we don't have a lot of clarity on some of the issues of unauthorized employment and whether these unpaid leaves and how they, they fit in, because we have this 245K forgiveness. So when we have a lot of people that either, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes inadvertently are working during that gap, in the end, they end up being okay from a I-485 standpoint, and we don't have to argue about whether that work was really, or, or whether um, an unpaid leave was employment or not, because they end up being forgiven. Um, but again, nobody should confuse this with a, really with a grace period or something that's authorized. It's simply a forgiveness that is going to probably come later. Okay. And so I know we always try to be mindful of the 30 to 40 minute time frame within which to wrap up because we understand that these are very, very important. You look forward to the fabulous Murthy Law Firm monthly teleconferences. But let's try to quickly summarize in the last three or four minutes uh, that we have uh, what the issues were that we discussed and how you as an employer can try to avoid any of these issues. So obviously, proactively, you want to avoid having to fall within this issue of trying to find loopholes and trying to f beg for expedite criteria and falling within an exception. If you've actually filed the EAD extension within that 180-day window time frame, as Adam had explained, don't wait till 
like two or three months before, that file it within 120 days prior to, 120 days before it expires. Next, uh, if you have in fact delayed a little bit, try to follow the, the time frame of following up with a particular service center within that 60 day or 75 day time frame, so that hopefully you can push to try to get it earlier. Uh, obviously, you do not want to hire the person or continue the employment if the person does not have a valid EAD and it's not already been approved. Uh, as an employer, you could potentially consider an option like the H-1B extension based on the I-140 approval. Uh, if, if worse comes to worse because you're so afraid that you would lose a major contract worth millions of dollars or you would lose a major client, you may want to discuss that with your wonderful attorney or if you don't have one, you certainly can speak with any of us at the Murthy Law Firm and we can give you some creative options and strategies to consider so that the person could potentially obtain an H-1, travel abroad, pick up the visa and come back, continue if the person had not been maintaining H-1 status. If person had been maintaining H-1 status, then potentially that could be extended within the U.S. as well. Uh, and obviously, if we can show cr expedite criteria and that is something that you feel strongly, then let's go ahead, give it a shot, and try to fall within the expedite criteria to try and get the EAD in advance before the 90 or 120 days that the USCI seems to be taking nowadays, even though the regulations say they have to give us an answer within 90 days. We can certainly, at the Murthy Law Firm, guide you, help you, and suggest to you uh, either options or how you can try to fit into the expedite criteria or how we can show the, lo um, uh, the loss to you as an employer. And if you need to make contact with pol the political forces to be, then maybe we could guide you with that as well. Uh, but on behalf of all of us here, we're really appreciative of you taking time in the middle of your day. We look forward to continuing to help you on this issue and every other issue because we know your immigration matters and we are the best that's out there on the world of internet. Thank you so much for uh, working with us and good luck in getting those EADs filed and we hope that all of our wonderful suggestions today from all three of us here and everybody else will continue to help your company to remain profitable and competitive and cutting edge. Thanks a million, have a great day.